Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is a Seven West Media podcast. Hi, welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me. The Olympic movement's goal is to contribute to building a peaceful and better world. But it needs to do that while remaining a viable multi-billion dollar enterprise. Just like competitors at its key events, the Olympic bosses engage in a fine balancing act to achieve their goals. They need to draw in huge television audiences and hundreds of thousands of spectators to watch a roster of traditional, contemporary and demonstration sports. All with an aim to land the biggest advertising partnerships, reward the best athletes and build a better world. This fine-tuned equation has seen its high and lows in recent years from Sydney to Rio de Janeiro. It has sparked vigorous debate about which sports belong at the Olympics and which city should host them. In 2014, the International Olympic Committee announced it was going to change the way it did business. And Thomas Bach, the IOC's president, told the press in Brisbane this week that he was forging ahead with the Olympic agenda 2020. More female, more urban and more youthful. It's a business move more in keeping with the new Olympic sport of skateboarding than the traditional long jump. So what will we be watching at the 2032 Olympics and where will they be held? I asked Seven News reporter Chris Reason and former international athlete David Colbert. So recording and that looks fine, so... Awesome. Away you go. All right, I'll turn the phone to silent so we're all good. Okay, yeah, go for it. All right, well, let's get straight into it then. Oh, they're away, and Gatling got away brilliantly indeed. He's ahead of the field at the moment, and uh, Bolt going very And here comes Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt storming through. He takes it again. 9.64. This is weird. I always say, and I know this is going to be a bit of a shocking statement to say, I would rather be in a war zone than an Olympic Games, and I've done a few war zones. They're, 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 <laughs> wow. The Olympic Games, from a reporter's point of view, is, is horrendous. Chris Reason has reported from the front line of some of the biggest news events of our time, including the Boxing Day tsunami, September 11, the London bombings, the Israel-Lebanon war, the Sydney Lint Cafe siege and 10 Olympic Games. 
It's 16 days of non-stop incident after incident after incident. Returning now to Chris Reason in Rio for an update on the 10 Australian athletes detained over an alleged ticket scam. Rizzo, we know they've just been released. What's next? I wish every single games I covered, I wish I could be doing more sport because you do see those wonderful moments of extraordinary heroism, extraordinary bravery from athletes who have sacrificed absolutely everything to get to that moment and break a record, beat a competitor, be there themselves, come last in an event. And we see stories like that at every single Olympic Games. One of the best comebacks we've seen in modern pentathlon, the gold medal to Australia. Chloe Esposito from seventh to first in the final event. What an extraordinary comeback from the Australian. Chloe Esposito, you are a champion. So to jump right into it, Chris, how likely is it that Australia could host another Olympic Games pretty soon? Well, if you listen to the IOC, it's looking very likely indeed. They were very optimistic in their uh, swift visit to uh, to Sydney and to Brisbane and, uh, and the Gold Coast, uh, discussing and talking up the potential of having a Games in 2032. Um, they say, and the reading I was uh, taking from... The press conferences and the various interviews we did and the exclusive interview we did with the uh, IOC president, Thomas Bach, is that the bottom line is if Brisbane wants it, it can have it. You were asked downstairs um, how we're looking, but I'll ask you that again. Is this a serious proposition and could we see the Olympic Games come back to Australia a third time? I think it's a very serious uh, proposition, even if it's uh, very early stages. What I could uh, see so far uh, has undertaken a very thorough feasibility uh, study. Uh, the project is embracing uh, the reforms of Olympic Agenda 2020 uh, very much. You need to want to be host to the world. This is why I'm saying that this is so important. You know, the IOC will not uh, give uh, the right to host the Olympic Games uh, to, a, to a country, a city or a region where the athletes are not, uh, are not welcome. Uh, this is why I insist you know, that the first decision to, to be taken is we want to host the Olympic Games. We want to be host for the athletes from 206 National Olympic uh, Committees. And then once you have this will, then uh, it's the time uh, to speak about uh, the implementation and uh, how to make it coming true. So does Brisbane want it? Well, that's the big question. And, and the feeling I get is that there is a lot of caution, a lot of scepticism. Um, you can look at things like Rio and Athens and how... The Olympic experience wasn't a particularly great one for them, debt that they will be paying off for some time to come. Other examples, of course, where cities have had a phenomenal experience with the Olympic Games. I know Sydney is in that category. London is in that category. But there is caution, and you can you can feel it. And just watching my social media rep uh, tweets and replies and, and responses to the posts I was putting up, you can see that people are really sceptical about the immense cost of staging a Games. And I think a lot of people as well have kind of seen these viral articles where you just see photos of these abandoned stadiums, especially in like Athens and Rio. They're kind of haunting. 
almost. It's so sad. It's terribly sad and, and you can see, and particularly one that was really poignant for me was the bird's nest in Beijing, which um, was a magnificent, beautifully designed piece of infrastructure. Yeah, very and, cool. And, and now just sitting there rusting away and hardly used. The upkeep on that thing alone I know is about $10 million a year. It costs some $460 million to build. It's a valid uh, question for people to have because it's an expensive exercise to undertake. And, you know, you do get extraordinary value out of um, having, having those venues, but, um, but for some, they just haven't worked. I guess then what does it depend on for Brisbane to take this up? Pretty simply, it it's comes down to transport infrastructure. At the moment, the IOC says that the city's got potential. Um, it's done its feasibility study, uh, the 18-month study into uh, what Brisbane did have to offer and what it had to uh, to do to get right to get itself right up to par. And on paper, Thomas Bark says the city looks good. It's um, it's proposing a new idea. It's a spread out Olympic venue concept where we would have venues as far as Toowoomba, uh, Brisbane, Gold Coast, and uh, up to the Sunshine Coast. And interestingly, you know, with the history of the Olympic Games since 1896. They've always been staged in a singular city. Some events sort of satellited out to particular facilities that might be appropriate for that event. But most, in the most part, it was all built for the city. You'd have an Olympic village, Olympic stadium, everything in large parts, often within walking distance of each other. But now the IOC, realising the, 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 you know, the, the blowback it's had on these extremely expensive games, has relaxed those rules and said, no, we'll consider things like Brisbane. We'll consider these things like a spread out regional Olympics, but as long as it works for the athletes. And that means transport, and that's Brisbane's big Achilles heel. Transport needs to be fast between the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane, and what they need to build is a rail line, which is extremely expensive. I spoke to the Lord Mayor yesterday and his executive team, and they say that it would cost about $2.7 billion spent every year from now to 2032 to build that fast rail line between uh, those three regional centres so that athletes can move from the Olympic Village and tourists and officials uh, out to their venues and back again. Again. Now, it has to be said that although that sounds like a staggering amount of money, I think, quick calculation, $35 billion, it is a lot of money. But, yeah, but they're saying that a lot of that has to be spent anyway. Southeast Queensland, one of the fastest growing regional centres in the country. It needs the infrastructure. And they say that for the most part, it's about $2 billion spent a year anyway on that type of infrastructure in, uh, in that area. Um, so all we want is a little bit more, about $700 million a year to make it work for the Olympic Games. Now, the fascinating thing about the um, the press conference that uh, Thomas Bark gave yesterday after he met with the Brisbane officials was that he said, look, guys, we're going to give you our... You know, it's a traditional sort of uh, gifted amount of money back from the IOC, uh, about 1.8 billion US dollars, so $2.5 billion. And that will give you... Uh, more than half the money you need to run the games. The other uh, um, $2.5 billion they need is comes from ticket sales and uh, sponsorship, etc. So he was saying yesterday, you can run these games cost-free, effectively even pat- potentially making a profit. And our candidature procedure cannot be about uh, creating losers, It must be about uh, having uh, the best host uh, 
for the best athletes of the world. And uh, this is why uh, we have changed uh, the, the candidature procedure uh, so much to make it much more targeted. What happened yesterday was just, it was just an extraordinary moment. Here we've got the most powerful man in world sport flies all the way out to come and talk to Brisbane when Brisbane hasn't even decided if it wants the Olympic Games yet. That speaks volumes about the change in what's happening with Olympism around the world. Now, they know the writing is on the wall for them. They saw with, um, you know, with the last uh, bidding for the Olympic Games um, mm. that cities have been fleeing from the concept. Oslo, Stockholm pulled out of 2022. Boston um, left 2024. And I think Budapest, Hamburg, Rome were also in that list. And by the end of that bidding process, they were left with just two cities, LA and Paris. And the IOC, seeing the writing on the wall, said, we'll take both of you. And they gave Paris 24 and we give uh, LA 28. And here we are today in a situation where the IOC goes to Brisbane and says, you know, yep, we're coming to you. We think you should stage it. We've got no problems with this spread out plan that you've got. We've got, we're giving you some money, extra money that you didn't know you had. Um, it just says that the Olympic Games is in a very different period of its life right now. The International Olympic Committee has the honor of announcing that the games of the 32nd Olympiad in 2020 are awarded to the city of Tokyo. Five new sports coming out for Tokyo, um, which will be fascinating. Uh, rock climbing, um, surfing, skateboarding, mm. softball, baseball, um, but also getting Olympic consideration at the moment, cheerleading. Uh, which apparently I didn't know is a is a massively booming sport full of ex gymnasts. Haven't you haven't you seen Bring It On, Chris? I haven't seen Bring It On. Should oh I go and Google goodness. that? Yes, you should. <laughs> that will introduce you to the competitive world of cheerleading. <laughs> oh right, okay, excellent. I'll pass it on to Bark next time I see him as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a fascinating thing to watch the um, the Olympic movement again. I think seeing the signs on the wall again, seeing that you know that. Um, that they need to change and adapt. Front side, double cork, 1440 for John. Are we going to see the back-to-back 1440s? Yes, we are. Back-to-back 1440s there for Sean White. The sky um, I like any, any sport that's delivering an Olympic gold medal that happens only once every four years. To me, it doesn't matter what the event is or what the sport is. I love watching it. David Colbert is a former international track and field athlete who competed in the long jump. He won two Commonwealth Games silver medals and made the finals at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. David is a track and field commentator for Seven Sport. How have the Olympics changed since you were competing? Uh, in some ways dramatically and in other ways not at all. Um, when you look at the uh, some elements of the competition, not much has changed since... You know, the modern Olympics restarted in 1896, so I think that's one of the charms of the Olympic Games, that you look at the, the sports and, and the competition and the way the competition is presented, and it's, it's a, you know, for instance, there are no signs around the, um, the stadium advertising sponsors, so that hasn't changed at all. In other ways, the Olympics has probably slipped behind some of the other major professional sports around the world, um, 
and uh, you know that's provided challenges to the Olympic movement and it's one of the reasons why they've introduced you know sports like skateboarding and surfing um, uh, to the to the games to try and attract a young audience that may not be um, that into some of the more traditional sports that the Olympic Games has presented for you know well over a hundred years. How important is it that the Olympics kind of keeps up with the times? Well, I guess it's crucial to, to its survival. Um, you know, every sport needs to have an audience. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges for the Games is it's now so big. It's a big challenge for organising committees and host um, towns that there are so many sports. So to introduce a new sport, you either have to drop a sport, which historically um, the Olympic you know, movement hasn't wanted to do, or they have done it with you know, baseball and softball previously, or reduce the number of athletes that compete in each sport and that's happening in in many sports to ensure that the games are manageable so um look there are plenty of people that don't think break dancing should be an olympic sport but it looks like it's going to be on the program in paris um you know surfing and skateboarding and new sport climbing and those sorts of things are completely different to you know a, a very traditional sport like modern pentathlon um most Australians probably couldn't have cared less whether modern pentathlon was in the games until Chloe Esposito, you know, scored a magnificent victory, and then we love it. So, yeah, you know, they're the sorts of charms that I, I believe are, are crucial to the Olympics because that you know, tradition is important, and that's one of the elements that I like about the Olympic Games. Uh, I'm one of the people who I'm kind of excited about breakdancing because from a spectator's perspective, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Like, how do you strike the balance as the Olympic Committee between tradition and keeping up with the media and spectators and, I guess, spectacle? You know, sport is reality TV at its best. It's why sports, it's why broadcasters spend so much money on television rights because it's it's destination viewing. You know, the, the 100 metre freestyle final will start at 8pm and it starts at 8pm on the dot. There's very... Um, little content in terms of media these days that has that instantaneous gratification. People kind of get into the Olympic sports in a way you just wouldn't at any other time. Here we go. <laughs> For example, the gymnastics. I would never go and watch a gymnastics meet, but it's one of my favourite things to watch at the Olympics because their skill is just out of this world and so fun to watch. The viewer becomes an expert very quickly on these things, like we all are with Olympic diving. Oh, that is stunning. Now it's got to be up to the judges. You do sit there watching the diving like, oh, that this was moment. a big splash as you're sitting there like yeah, no splash. eating your chips or whatever. Great score. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that we like about the uh, the Olympic Games. It's it's pretty easily understood by just about everybody, even if you're not an expert in the particular sport that you're watching. There'll be new classes of athletes going forward with some really interesting new sports. What do you think of skateboarding, surfing and climbing? Um... Yeah, look, it's a great question. What do I think of them? I think it's fantastic. I, they're great sports. You know, I love the idea that Sally Fitzgibbon, who's um, you know could have been a fantastic middle distance runner and dreamed of going to the Olympics, you know, but chose to be a surfer due to the 
um, you know, her skill, but also the financial um, potential that that sport had over being a middle distance runner is going to get to go to the Olympics. I think that's awesome. Um, so, look, I like BMX. It takes a little bit to get used to when you're, you know, getting on in years like I am and you're not a teenager anymore. Um, I know my two boys think that skateboarding at the Olympic Games is just going to be sensational. So, you know, I guess that's the, the answer, isn't it? That um, it allows the Games to be um, enjoyed by a much broader um, demographic than might otherwise be the case. Sport climbing, you know, I just love watching it. I don't understand it. I've got zero idea how they do it. Um, but, you know, if there's an Australian in the final of it, I'll be watching it, that's for sure. Absolutely. Or even someone else. That's one of those other sports where, you know, you'll be watching from your couch thinking, oh, you could have grabbed that rock, but really. <laughs> yeah, and that's why the broadcast is so important with those sorts of um, events that you, you know, there'll be a commentator who'll be able to explain it. And, you know, we, we always come back to, you know, Basil's great call of Stephen Bradbury. You know, who knew what sport, short track speed skating really was? much before you'd see it every four years you kind of go that's interesting but you know every Australian was on the edge of their seat watching it when um, you know Stephen Bradbury was in the final and when he won we you know all were complete experts on short track speed skating so Thirty-two, 13 years away. And so the teenagers today will well and truly be grown-up adults. So they, those skateboarders, they'll be sort of encouraging their kids to, you know, dream of the Olympics. So this is almost creating a whole new generation of dreamers in a way, isn't it? Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's absolutely no doubt about that. When you look at, you know, Cathy Freeman, in fact, we're 19 years since the 2000 Olympics, so... You know, a 19-year-old now wasn't even born when Cathy Freeman ran her race. It's an iconic moment in Australian sport. A lot of kids at school have no idea who Cathy Freeman is at all. So, um, you know, the, the, the audience for something like the Olympic Games changes so rapidly from every four years. You go from being a 10-year-old with some idea to a 14-year-old with starting to dream about going to an 18-year-old who's, you know, potentially... You know, competing at the national level and dreaming of going to the Olympic Games, you know, to the next Games at 22, where you're actually there. So um, that progression happens very quickly when you, you're dealing with an event that only happens every four years. 2032. What events are on the program? Who are the stars of the Australian team? Um, what does the broadcast look like? You know, are we watching this in virtual reality? Are we putting ourselves into the race against you know the the hundred meter finalists? You know, all of those things are potentially possible, um, and those developments are all ahead of us. And who knows where it will end up? Stand by, Australia. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. That is your news fix for this week. Every week, we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. 
News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of News and Public Affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.